epistle lesson this morning is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're reading verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we confess that your word is a gift. The sum of it is truth. And you have sent your spirit into the world to lead us into all truth. And so we ask today that your good spirit will lead us on level ground into all the truth that you have revealed. And so speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Whether loaves or bagels, baguettes or lavash, every culture has created some form of bread. It's a basic staple of human life, has been for thousands of years, and that's especially the case in environments where there are food shortages. Bread is the substance we thrive on. It's not surprising to hear Jesus instruct us to ask God for daily bread because he lived in such an environment where food was scarce. To pray for daily bread is to pray for the necessities of life and also for the means of providing for those necessities. It's to ask God to sustain our physical bodies to give us life. We've noted that Jesus' prayer, the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that he gave to his disciples when they asked him, teach us to pray, is concise by design, short phrases. Jesus didn't encourage the piling up of words and phrases that somehow by all of our words and all of our phrases, we would convince God to do something we didn't think he was really inclined to do. Jesus critiques that form of prayer and says that's the way the Gentiles pray to their gods. Rather, Jesus offers us straight, direct, and simple language that's spoken to the true and living God who we call Father. And because we've been reconciled to him, we are confident that he hears us when we come to him. We've seen that these phrases are full of freight and they're loaded with meaning. And Jesus, in this prayer, offers us a summary or a compendium of all of his teaching. And this means that each of these phrases are worthy of slow and detailed attention. And so this morning, we come to the fourth of the phrases, the fourth petition, give us this day our daily bread. And so what do we learn from this request about prayer and about our communion with God? This morning, what we'll see is that in the request, God instructs us in four ways. He teaches us from the structure of the prayer. He instructs us from the subject. He also instructs us from the substance and also from the stance of this prayer. These are the four things that we'll consider this morning. First, we learn from the structure of the prayer. 
The structure is essential to remember that Jesus begins with three petitions oriented to the glory of God. First, he teaches us to pray that God would hallow his name on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that God's name would be honored. Second, he teaches us to pray that God would make his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That is, that God's reign would come on the earth as it, as it is in heaven. Third, he instructs us to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so there is a preoccupation with the glory of God, and this is where our prayers begin. But then Jesus invites us in the fourth position, in the fourth petition, in a transition in which we can give voice to our daily needs. Once we have asked God to make his glory known on the earth, we are then free to pray for our own earthly good. There's one danger, though, that we encounter in this request for daily bread. The danger is, is that we arrive at that request too soon. We've seen that our selfishness really knows no end, and that applies to our prayer lives as well, and that frequently we run to our own requests and needs before we tend to the agenda that God gives us. And Jesus here teaches us to pray out of what he will teach one chapter later in chapter 6, verse 33, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else will be added to us. And we have to pay careful attention to the structure of our own prayers. We must allow this structure that Jesus provides to shape our prayers and also our own priorities. And so we must listen carefully to our teacher. But the practical question is, what happens if we don't? What happens if we don't pay attention to this structure? Over time, our needs or our perception of our needs will become detached from God's purposes in the world. Our requests gradually will become more and more oriented towards our own goals and our own values, and they will be defined apart from God's agenda, what God is attempting to do in the world. And this is the great value of listening to Jesus and minding what he says, to keep a concern for God's glory and God's honor out first, and allowing that glory and honor then to shape and to discipline our needs. And so the structure that Jesus provides, what this does is it grounds our prayers in God's agenda. And so learn from the structure. Yes, ask for daily bread. This is legitimate to bring our requests and our needs and the necessities of life to God, but we do so in a certain order, in a certain priority. But second, we are also instructed by the subject of prayer. Now, the subject of this prayer is bread, a physical, material gift from God that sustains our lives. It's a common and it's a mundane thing in all of its many forms. But for many, when we think about spirituality, we think that spirituality is a quest to escape the material world. It's to get away from things like bread. Many people would say that spirituality concerns the soul, not the stomach. And so we have questions about why Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread. It seems somewhat misguided. 
And because of that, there's been a long strand of teaching in the Christian church that has spiritualized daily bread and says, no, well, this isn't actually physical, material bread. It's actually just sustenance for your soul. But this seems to miss the point somewhat, that when Jesus prays for daily bread, this is exactly what we are being taught to pray for, that God would satisfy our stomachs. Because what we learn from Jesus is that stomachs and souls are not far separated from one another. We have to remember that when God created the world, he created a good world, a physical world, a material world that he was delighted in. He found it good all the way to very good. And God filled that world with abundance, that is good gifts from him. And in lavishing the world in such abundance, he demonstrates that he's no prude and that he doesn't resist joy. He wants to share joy with us. But the good gifts in God were never intended to be an end in themselves. That is just that we enjoy the gift, but rather we are to go from the gift to the giver to offer thanks to God. That is the point of God's created gifts that he puts into the creation. The design of the gifts like bread are to fill us with thanksgiving. And this is what the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4 is arguing. He argues that bread and drink, that food and anything that we imbibe, that these are not unspiritual things. Actually, they're sanctified for our use through thanksgiving. So daily bread and a full stomach are never ends in themselves. Daily bread is always to lead us to God, to thanksgiving. And that this is true spirituality. And so when Jesus teaches us to pray for daily bread, this is what he is guiding us in. God's original design for the creation, a deep and a disciplined enjoyment of God's gifts that leads to thanksgiving. And so friends, the custom of sitting down to eat a meal, drawing up to a table and then saying, let's pray. For years and years across my life, it was simply an impediment to my mom's southern cooking. It was something that was in my way. And I never thought and reflected about that simple prayer that was said. It was normally in a rote formula. But it is also a powerful transaction that takes place. And it doesn't have to be a rote formula. It can be a profound moment daily in which we thank God for providing our needs. And yes, the production of our food and then getting it to our table doesn't always feel very connected in modern life. But think through that. Think about how God abundantly provides and return thanks to him. That he daily sustains you. That he nurtures you that he provides your needs, that he nourishes your life, and offer thanks to him in profound and simple words. Third, we also learn from the substance of this prayer. The substance of the prayer is daily bread, and the word daily is important to note here because daily means something like sufficient or enough. It's a prayer for sufficient food, that would nurture life and keep our bodies thriving. And when we pray these words, we can't help but remember those who went without bread yesterday or, or who are in danger of going without bread today and who don't know where their bread for tomorrow will come from. Jesus has an intense interest in the least in our world, and he calls the church to be 
interested and concerned for them. And in this prayer, when we ask God for daily bread, we remember that we pray in the plural, and we are interceding on behalf of the world for those who do experience food shortages. We're serving as priests on behalf of the whole world, offering our prayer to God to ask that he would sustain them and that he would provide for them. When we consider the needs of our world, it's often overwhelming. We don't experience food shortages in our society very often, but there are many places that do. But we do have a particular moment here today in a very local and intense way in which we have brothers and sisters in our very presbytery, Presbyterians from Haiti, who are in need of assistance. And friends, God has abundantly provisioned us. Even through this past crisis, God has been gracious to us in ways that we can't even fully comprehend. And so it's our opportunity to respond to God in an act of thanksgiving and to serve others who are actually in need. And so I invite you in that way, with no sense of guilt, but only being compelled by the graciousness and the goodness of God to give. And let's give to our brothers and sisters who are suffering with a shortage of work today. And finally, we're instructed by the stance that this prayer adopts. To ask for daily bread is to adopt a stance of dependence and humility. In chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus explains that God is gracious and that God is merciful to all of his creatures, to the just and the unjust. He causes the sun to rise, he causes the rains to fall, that he provides their needs, that he is the world's creator, and he is also the world's active caretaker, that he constantly tends to it, he upholds it, he sustains it. In Acts 17, as Paul preaches, he affirms that in God, we live and we move and we have our being. This is to say something more about God as the creator than simply he got things going and wound it up at the start and brought it from nothing into being. No, it's saying that God as the creator right now is upholding the world that he speaks a gracious command today and he holds all things together, that he gives you life by his gracious command, that he holds everything together. He nourishes us. And this is the reality in God's world. Whether we recognize it or not, it is the reality we live in, that we are dependent creatures. It's simply the way things are. We're frail and our frames are made of dust, we're reliant upon him at every moment. But there's another reality that has intruded into the creation, and that is that we have sought to ignore this. We have sought independence from God. Rather than living in conscious dependence upon him that we're frail, we prefer to think of ourselves as autonomous, that we can strike out on our own. And this is what God has healed, this rift that has been formed between human beings and himself through Jesus. That that striking out, that autonomous quest for meaning in life apart from God, that independence, God is reawakening the Christian, the one who's been reconciled to him, whose sins have been forgiven in Jesus, that he reawakens us to the experience of dependence. That we are his people, we are the sheep of his pasture, 
that we belong to him and we're dependent upon him. He humbles us in front of himself. And so we recognize our vulnerability and our weakness as creatures because we've been reconciled to God in Jesus. We acknowledge our dependence and our reliance on another. We embrace it, and we learn to receive life as a gift. And the course of our life becomes gradually more and more one of thanksgiving because we see how frail and fragile the whole thing really is. Several years ago, when my family lived in Washington, D.C., there was a freak summer thunderstorm with high winds, 90 miles an hour. And in the older neighborhoods of Arlington, Virginia, none of the power lines had been buried. And so really, it only took a slight breeze to knock out the power grid. But with ferocious winds, the power grid was decimated, and we lost power for over two weeks. And it was amazing to watch the city that is at the center of the world's power structure go from a first world city into a third world ghetto. But that is precisely what happened. Every grocery store had their doors open and water was rushing out of it. There was no food, there was no transport, no one could do anything, the power was gone. And it was the first time that I was actually awakened to the fact that, oh, the whole thing is far more fragile than I've ever conceived of. That life can be overturned in such a moment's notice as a thunderstorm. That everything could go awry, and this was no deep level of suffering. We were able to manage. Yes, the food spoiled in the refrigerator, and there were certain things that were inconvenience to everyone. But friends, the bottom line is, is that human life is dependent we do ignore that, but as Christians, we're reawakened to it and awakened to the possibilities of giving thanks to God for all that he gives and all that he sustains, and so adopt that stance. And today, let's hear Jesus' instruction about praying for daily bread. It doesn't have to be spiritualized to be spiritual. Yes, in the actual act of eating, and offering thanks to God, and having stomachs that are well nourished, our souls are fed as well. We give thanks to God, we commune with him. Listen to the structure that he teaches us to make those requests for daily needs, but to do so in a way where we are concerned for God's agenda and his goals in the world. And also adopt the stance of weakness and humility, and then of thanksgiving in front of God for all that he gives us, because it is in him that we live and we move and we have our being. And so let's go to him in prayer. Father, we recognize that as human beings, we have participated in Adam's sin, that we have struck out on our own attempting to carve out an independent existence. But in Jesus, you have rescued us from that quest. You've forgiven our sins, and you are teaching us dependence. And so teach us that dependence daily, to ask you for daily bread and all that that means. Help us to adopt that stance. Help us to understand what it means to be concerned and compassion for those who are without. Help us to know the structure of prayer and what it means to offer glory to you and then to make our request known. 
Lead us into true and life-giving communion with you through your Son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.